What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? Such an important concept and, and conversation that we've got to have. And, and really this whole series is what do you believe? And each month we're taking, we're taking the first month we took God. This month is Jesus. The next month is the Spirit, Holy Spirit. And the last month is the church. What do we believe about these things? These are the core pillars of our faith. And, and so if we're, if we're going to say that we believe in Jesus, don't you think that we ought to know what that means? right? We say the word belief a lot, and a lot of times we actually don't necessarily believe it to the extent in which we say it. We don't live it out. And sometimes I believe it's just because we don't understand it. We don't sequentially understand what we believe. And so we are methodically moving through what we believe as a church, but also framing it up in a question to all of us, which is, what do you believe? What do you believe? Because guys, look, you could come every single Sunday and hear what I believe, right? But I want you to go a little bit further than just what do I believe? I want you to know what you believe. Because here's the deal. If we're going to be uh, Christians who go and evangelize and, and, and uh, bring people to Jesus, we've got to know what we believe so we can go out and talk about it, right? What happens is a lot of people, they feel safe when they come to church and sit in a chair, but they don't feel safe whenever they're at Starbucks sitting in front of a person who's a critic or a skeptic or whatever, maybe they're an atheist, and they feel uncomfortable talking through it, so they want to point it to somebody else who knows. I would love it if all of us actually knew and felt confident in that, right? So we got to flesh these conversations out. By the way, we're in our sermon series small group semester right now. So for all of you that are in sermon-based groups, what we talk about today, a certain aspect of it, we're going to filter into our small groups and talk through it. And so, uh, so with that, let's jump in. What do you believe about Jesus? So to answer that, you've got to answer a series of questions. And again, last month we talked about what do you believe about God? But as we move into this second month, as the question is, what do you believe about Jesus? We cannot skip this extremely important topic right here. And the question actually is this, is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible reliable? Because as people, as Christians, as believers, everything that we believe hinges upon this right here. Is the Bible, the physical Bible that we hold or we go through on version or whatever the case is, um, is that Bible reliable? And for a lot of us in here, we've just assumed that for many years, or maybe we've already gone through this process of, of doubt and like, man, is this book really the book? I mean, is this, is this right? Is this what we have? And so for some of you, you feel confident in that. And, and you've, you've gone over that like 20 years ago. You feel cool. But what about the next generation? The next generation, I'm 34 years old. Actually, am I 35? I'm 35 now. 35 years old. <laughs> It's like what I said. I'm like, wait, hold on. 35 years old, and that's not good. That, you're not supposed to forget your age, especially in front of everyone. But um, one thing, it gets worse, I know. But one thing I know is that, um, that this generation, my generation, and especially younger, nothing we hear, we take at face value. It's just the way it is. And so the whole thing of, oh, man, you just got to receive in faith. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And for some people, that's, that's jarring, especially if you've been in the faith for a long time. But we've got to realize that our faith is not just some sort of uh, uh, experiential thing, but it's also something that we can understand. It's a reasonable faith. The Bible talks about that, that we should be able to give a reason for our faith. So our faith is reasonable. So our, our faith hinges upon the Bible, the word of God being reliable. The big problem is that there's a bunch of Christians who are, uh, they really don't understand the Bible. They really don't understand what the Bible says. A report showed that those who self-identify as Christians rank only a little higher in biblical literacy than those who don't identify as Christians. 
And have a conversation with a Christian and I think you'd probably realize that pretty quickly. You know what I'm saying? They start having a conversation. You're like, what does the Bible say about that? And they're like, um, I know what Google says about it. <laughs> I'm not really sure what the Bible says about it. Also, a lot of times the biggest critics or doubters of the Bible haven't read it themselves. They haven't even read it themselves. So you start talking to somebody and they're like, well, I don't believe in that. Well, what about it do you not believe? Well, I don't really know. I just, somebody told me one time like 10 years ago this and, and they kind of construct this really weird definition of what the Bible is and, and then what it says. They don't actually know it, but they're a critic and they have a blog and then everybody goes to that blog and listens and then this, this information circulates and then all of a sudden you have the younger generation of people coming up who are like, oh man, there's a bunch of objections to the Bible. A lot of common objections to the Bible. It's inaccurate, it's out of date, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's just a bunch of errors in it. And these, these objections are typically based out of ignorance of the Bible or from a skeptic not genuinely seeking to know the truth about the Bible. If you really look, a lot of times you'll find that. They're the biggest critic, but they're really coming from an, uh, they're not seeking truth. They're not seeking to know the truth. They're just seeking to tear down something they don't want to believe in. Another problem is this, is that we have a cultural misunderstanding. We live in 2020, right? And we're reading a book that was written thousands of years ago, right? Like, like you know, 2,000, 3,000 years ago. And the cultural context of what's going on in the word of God, we sometimes translate into 2020. And then those who are taking the word at face value, don't, they don't put in these filters and, and kind of change their understanding or read into what the Bible is actually saying. And they misconstrue things and they throw the Bible out. One example is slavery. One of the prime examples, whenever Paul is talking about to slaves and masters, we live in 2020. And so we project what that means, maybe not us, but some people do, and they'll use that and they'll put it into our context, not understanding the, the Ephesians context of what slavery was in that back, that back in the day. Or somebody, some people mistreat it, absolutely, but not like we, at least me, whenever I hear slavery, I think of our nation's history, right? Come on. And it's, it's terrible. But in that time period, it meant something a little bit different. And especially when Paul says, hey, masters, treat your slaves, love them, honor them, respect them. He was actually raising up the, the people's view of it. He wasn't condoning mistreatment of people. That's just one, one example of how people take things and they misconstrue it. And then they teach it, teach it, teach it. And then people, maybe not us in this room, but there's a lot of people who take those concepts and they, 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 they quit listening to what the Bible has to say because the Bible is not accurate. So we're going to move through some of these, um, uh, some of these, you know, some of the objections, but more the evidence to why we believe that the Bible is reliable. So I want to summarize what the Bible is. I want to read a couple of things. The Bible is one book made of 66 smaller books split into two parts, Old and New Testament. It was written by at least 40 different authors over a period of about 1,600 years in 13 different countries on three different continents in three different languages by people in all professions. Despite all of those variables, the Bible does not contradict itself theologically, morally, ethically, doctrinally, scientifically, historically, or in any other way. It records the details of the creation of the universe, the origin of life, the moral law of God, the history of man's rebellion against God, and the historical details of God's work of redemption for all who trust in his son. Moreover, the Bible claims to be God's revelation to mankind. If true, this has implications for all aspects of life, how we should live, why we exist, what happens when we die, and what our meaning and purpose is. But how do we know if the claims of the Bible are true, right? 
As Christians, everything I just said, you're like, yes. But how do we know that the claims that the Bible actually say are true? How do we know that the book that we have is actually reliable? So we're going to walk through four different evidences of the Bible being reliable. It's going to be about manuscript evidence, historical evidence, archaeological evidence, and what we call prophetic evidence. The first thing is manuscript evidence. And, and if you hear this, you know, you're like, okay, manuscript, like what's, what does that mean? How do, how do we walk through what this is? Well, I got a couple of pictures. I want to give you all some visuals on, on what it actually looked like. So let's put up that first picture. This is papyrus, okay? This is a plant-based paper, and this is what a lot of the Bible was actually written on. This right here, it's, it's kind of like a, 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 it's actually like a weed that was basically, you know, taken out, dried, stretched out, and, and you know, kind of flattened out in order for them to write the, you know, the, all ancient documents. A lot of ancient documents were written on this type of material. Go to that next page, the next picture. So this is, um, these are fragments of the actual Bible that we have, these are fragments of that uh, papyrus that then, you know, begins to break down. And over the years, we end up finding these artifacts. We end up finding these, these fragments of the actual word of God, which I think is incredible. This is actually P52. If, you know, if you've kind of researched anything into to the, uh, you know, the fragments and, and how they label things, you'll know what that means. But it's actually an excerpt out of the book of John. And I think it's incredible to look back at something like this and realize how old it is and the information that is on it. it was, uh, believe, it's believed to be written in uh, the, the year 120 or 130 AD. Kind of old, okay? <laughs> Been around for a little while. The next thing I want to show you is a picture of the Codex uh, Vaticanus, and it is written on, uh, you can go to the next one. Yeah, that's actually written, written on like parchment, right? Which is basically calf skin. Okay, and this is, this is the whole Bible written in the fourth century, one of the earliest uh, entire Bibles that we have in the fourth century. And so just with those, you can actually keep that picture up for a second. With those visuals in your mind, I wanna begin to talk to you about how we know that the manuscript evidence that we have points to the fact that the Bible that was written however long ago is the Bible that we actually have today and is accurate and reliable. And so... Uh, so what they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll perform a test on, uh, on old manuscripts, and it's called a bibliogra uh, bibliographical test, and it examines the manuscript's reliability in three main ways. Number one is the number of copies of the originals. Number two is the time gap between the originals and the existing copies. And the third way is by looking at the, the existing copies and seeing the accuracy between them. All right, now here's the deal. You just saw a picture there, P52. As those, those, uh, those manuscripts begin to break down, we no longer have the actual autographs or the exact originals, the first copies, because they kind of don't exist anymore. What we have are these fragments and these copies, which again, right now you can start thinking like, well, how do we know that those are accurate. I'm glad that you asked. We have a few things to talk about when it comes to that. So all ancient literature goes through this bibliographical test. And uh, actually, you can go ahead and put up that next picture. This is a chart that kind of lays out a, an example of how you compare uh, other, other books of antiquity that we have. Some of these we teach in universities. A lot of them you've heard about, maybe you've even read some of them. And a lot of these we take as truth, right? They're taught in history and, and we believe in them and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but this picture here compares the Bible to other ancient literature. And so kind of, you know, if you look from the top and start looking down, you'll see some of the writings of Plato, for instance. We have seven copies and the earliest copy of Plato is uh, around the, the year 1300. 
1300, I'm sorry, 1300 years after the original was written. Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, 10 copies. We have 10 copies, and the earliest copies are 1,000 years after the original. Look at Homer's Iliad, 1,900 copies, pretty good. The earliest copies, four to 500 years. So you can see how they begin to get closer and closer and more reliable, seemingly. So how does the Bible measure up? How does the New Testament measure up? Well, let's compare that to 5,856 whole handwritten New Testament copies prior to the printing press, which is the big defining line in the number of copies, obviously, because you can make more of them once you have a printing press, right? So many of those copies are within 225 years of the original. As far as the manuscript evidence is concerned, the Bible has an overwhelming amount more of evidence that points to its accuracy. If we are gonna take other books that we have and use them in, uh, in, in universities and talk about them as truth, right? Because of the evidence that we have that they're actually accurate, supposedly, then shouldn't we look at the Bible and say, I think what it has to say is also accurate based upon these numbers. There's a whole lot more to talk about, but today we're kind of glossing through some of this, uh, some of this evidence. There's close to 25,000 fragments and copies total of the New Testament. 25,000, right? Because again, everything breaks apart and they're finding all of these, these fragments and putting them together. Some of the fragments are believed to be less than 100 years from the original. Really incredible. So I want to give you quick, uh, two quick responses to two main objections of the New Testament manuscripts. Some of you maybe have never encountered someone who's really had a problem with this, but these, these are very real arguments and very, very real situations that want to undermine our faith in the word of God. I think that we should know some of the objections, some of the main objections. So the first objection is that these manuscripts were copied centuries after the originals from the other copies. So how can we trust them? Right, the copy of, you know, the telephone game, right? Copy of the copy of the copy. And therefore, how can I actually know? There's just no way of knowing. I don't think so. And which that could be said about any other book. The response I'll give is that ancient literature remained in circulation for 150 years, sometimes up to 400 years. It wasn't like something was written and then fell off the map. That, 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 that uh, uh, you know, whether it was a scroll or whether it was just, you know, like what we just got, some of those visuals of what we just had, a book like that would remain in circulation to be copied many, many, many times. And so the overlap of the time suggests and gives great evidence that the Bible that we have today is actually very, very accurate and not a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, you know, uh, uh, breaking down over time. The evidence actually suggests the, the opposite, and then I'll give you an example of that later on in the message. But objection two is there are errors in the Bible, and this is one of my favorites right here. There's errors in the Bible, so how can it be trusted, right? You ever hear, how many of y'all have ever heard that? Not that many. Honestly, how many of y'all have heard there's errors in the Bible? Okay, cool. More of you than, than initially raised your hand. Exactly. We all, and guess what? Let me ask you a question. Does that strike fear in your heart when you hear that? Does it mess with you? Or do you come up with some sort of like out to get around it? Well, even if there are errors, I still believe. Well, that's one way of working around it, I guess. But, but how about what, is the, what are those errors? I think it's kind of funny because a lot of these claims, especially nowadays, come from a man named Bart Ehrman, and his book is Misquoting Jesus. And, and you'll, if you've heard some of the stats out there, they're like, there's hundreds of thousands of errors. You can't trust it, undermining a whole generation of people. And they're like, you know, well, I heard this. I read on a blog this. You know, I was on Reddit, and somebody said this. And it's like, 
Well, that's a, you know, okay. You know, our generation's Wikipedia, right? <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, all these facts and figures are getting thrown out there. But I think it's important to know that first off, all of those errors, seemingly big errors, 99% of those are little small, just nuances in writing. It might be like a typo, right? It might be just like something small that has nothing to do with, it doesn't even change the sentence hardly, right? And, and, and then people begin to, to boil this up. But I like this quote from Bart Ehrman, and he said this in his appendix. He says, the essential Christian beliefs are not affected by textual variants in the manuscript tradition of the New Testament. So he puts out all these facts and figures, gets everybody all like riled up. And then in his appendix later on, says, oh yeah, by the way, it doesn't actually mess with doctrine. So right there, I think that should prove a point to us. If you wrote me a letter, if you text me and you have one typo in that text, do I throw your text out and say, I can't believe, I don't think you tend, I don't. Or do you just use your brain and say, oh, he misspelled the word. It's okay, right? We got to have some common sense when it comes to this. And that is the reality of, of what's going on. I don't know. They didn't have Microsoft Word. So every now and then there was a typo. But it does not change the doctrine. We got to be strong in that and understand that. I would highly add, uh, 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 you know, encourage you to watch the documentary Fragments of Truth. It just came out a couple of years ago. Look that up as some of the latest study around the, uh, the manuscript evidence that we have and Fragments of Truth. Look that up. Very exciting to, to, to watch. But uh, there's a quote that I believe sums this up from F.F. Bruce. He says, the Bible is actually one of the most, if not the most reliable and credible document from antiquity. We can rely on what the words in the Bible say. The next thing about the, the Bible and its reliability, the next evidence would be the evidence surrounding uh, history, historical evidence. I think it's important for us to know that history doesn't discredit the Bible, but rather it supports it. I don't know what you've been taught. I don't know where you're coming from today. I'm definitely not naive to the fact that there's skeptics and people that are, are in here. Maybe you're, you're even called a Christian. You call yourself a Christian, but you struggle with like some of these details. Like historically, is it really reliable? H.G. Wells said this, I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the center, very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. Whether you're saved or not, you know. If you're a historian, you look back and you know Jesus is a defining line in history. So everything that the Bible says, because the Bible points to Jesus, okay, is, a, a, uh, is evidence to the existence of Jesus, but also the reliability of the Bible. There are actually 36,000 other references in non-biblical historical sources to the events described in the Bible. 36,000. So for example, it's from one of the greatest Roman historians, Tacitus, that we know that Nero blamed a devastating fire that happened in Rome in AD 64 in Christians. This is what he said. Therefore, to squelch the rumor, Nero created scapegoats and subjected to the most refined tortures those whom the common people call Christians, hated for their abominable crimes. Their name comes from Christ, who during the reign of Tiberius had been executed by the procurator Pontius Pilate. 
Have you read that pretty much your whole life if you grew up in Sunday school, right? You've heard this, you've heard this kind of laid out, not the fire part, but the Pontius Pilate, right? You remember the flannel graphs at Sunday school, okay? You know, you can picture it in your head. This is a non-biblical historian who supports what we know to be true, supports it. 36,000 mentions in other books. The Bible doesn't stand alone in its historical account. It's actually supported by, so, so for, if you're outside of the faith, right? For those of you that are maybe outside the faith and struggling with that, go look some, up, some of those up. Go look up some of those facts. Go look at some of those historical uh, events and see how the Bible doesn't miss those details. So important. Ancient literature from historians record all sorts of information in different categories, cultural, physical, economical, all kinds of things that were going on in society, and uh, even, even geographical, okay, even botanical, like plants, okay? There's all of these, uh, these, these mentions, and, and, and the Bible actually uh, does very well. It's completely accurate in its depiction in even those areas as well, right? Zacchaeus, what kind of tree did he climb up in? A sycamore tree, right? Did you know that there were sycamore trees in that area? Right? You're like, oh, that doesn't really matter. Anybody could have got, okay, okay. There's a lot of those. I don't have time to go into all of those today. But the Bible mentions a lot of the same info without contradictions. It's historical evidence. The next one would be archaeological evidence. It supports that the Bible is talking about real time in a real place with real people. Archaeologists use the Bible, I think this is incredible, to actually guide where they dig. Is that amazing? Right? Is it an archaeological book? No. It's not really, that's not the purpose of it, right? But is it correct? And, and, and yes, yeah, so much so that people use it to guide where they dig. Karen Ingalls said, each time an artifact related to the Bible is unearthed, it becomes a witness to the perfection of God's word. The perfection of God's word. I want to give you an example of how all three of these categories sort of work together in one of the most um, intriguing and important discoveries uh, archaeologically and for the Bible in uh, really the last, last century. The Jewish people had scribes who were in charge of the manuscripts. They were so meticulous about doing it perfectly that they counted all the paragraphs, words, and even letters so they would know if they had copied correctly. Guys, they, they actually cared. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they took meticulous notes. They even knew the middle letter of each book so they could count back and see if it, they had, um, had missed anything. The oldest copy, complete copy of a Hebrew Old Testament in museums today are dated about 1000 AD. Now that's a long time after the originals were written. Okay, y'all remember the manuscript evidence that we just talked about. It's about 1450 to 400 BC is when the originals were written. So one could question if after many centuries of copying, we really have the original words. That's where the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls was so important and so helpful in 1947. These well-preserved texts date back to 100 BC. Amazingly, there is virtual agreement between the Dead Sea Scrolls and those dated 1100 years later. This proves we can trust the Hebrew copies of the Old Testament that are uh, existing today. Just another giant discovery, but also that builds upon all the other things that we talked about. Archaeologically, that what they find supports the Bible. Historically, what we read supports the Bible. Last month, we talked about science, how the Bible is supported even through science. 
And even here with the manuscript evidence, we see that the accuracy is undeniable. It's right there in front of our face. So the arguments that come against these things, they're thin, they're weak, right? That's why arguments, they're almost like ebb and flow. You'll see like an argument come up and it's this thing that atheists or whoever, you know, is trying to tear down Christianity will, you know, speak against or false religions and they'll speak against it. And then you'll, you'll like see it kind of like dwindle and it'll go away. Why? Just give it time. Just give it time, right? Every archaeological discovery that we, that we make as, a, as, a, as humanity supports what the Bible says. So the Bible isn't a history book, but history supports it. The Bible isn't a science book, but science supports it. The Bible isn't an archaeology book, but archaeology supports it. The attention to detail in the Bible is astounding. Another argument that people might make is the fact that Christians back in the day were kind of ignorant. They didn't really know what was going on. You know what I'm saying? They're just kind of writing things down and, and that's why there's all these errors and all this kind of stuff. But then the other side of the argument says that the Christians got together, you know, the gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they, they get together and they actually like, they like made it all fit, right? And, and they pieced it together. And I think it's so funny because you got people like reaching out this way, reaching out this way to try to like undermine things. And uh, it can only be one or the other, by the way, like, like either they were really smart and they duped everybody, okay? Or they were, you know, really dumb and it was just really messed up. But we know based upon the details that they got them all right, okay? And I don't believe that they all got together and, and put it all together like puzzle pieces. What if they were just regular people? who wrote down what they saw, what they experienced, because they were eyewitnesses and they were actually there in the moment. Like, could it be that, right? I think it makes a lot more sense that way than the other way, trying to find something to undermine the word of God. The last reason, the last reason that we want to give today is based upon your confidence being built on the last three reasons as we build through this message. If the Bible is reliable apart from what is said in it, then we can begin to look at how the Bible supports itself in its claims. Let's talk about prophetic evidence for a second. There are many prophecies in the Bible. All right, you look through the Bible, you read it, you'll, you'll always see this, this, uh, this pattern of, of looking forward and, and God speaking through the prophets and saying what was to come. But the consistent promise of the coming of the Messiah is woven all throughout the Old Testament. All throughout. So these prophecies were written centuries before Christ was born. The details of his birth, how he would live, his, his death, his resurrection, all of these details are, are all throughout the Old Testament. Even the types and the shadows, if you look, the tabernacle, how it speaks to Jesus, the ark speaks of Jesus. All of these things are just wonderful examples of what was to come. The book of Isaiah is full of, of prophecies pointing to the coming, the anointed one, the, the Messiah. And the way that Jesus lived his life and fulfilled these prophecies, the detail, the connection, you cannot deny. You can't deny. He's all throughout the word of God. And so this month, kind of moving forward, we're going to look more into these prophecies and how Jesus fulfilled them and, and what that means for us today. But I believe 2 Peter, uh, in 2 Peter 1, I believe that he lays this out in, in just a very powerful way. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's insane, it's amazing how the word of God written from all these different authors over all these different areas, all these different languages, all come together and make one cohesive story of truth. It's it's the most amazing book on the face of the planet. Our faith is built upon this book. No need to add to it. We're not getting into the canonization today, although it's a wonderful, another wonderful way of looking at how the Bible and, and the meticulousness that even those men took to canonize the scriptures that we have. Every step you can have great confidence in the word of God being faithful, being accurate, and being a book that we can rely upon for our life and for our faith. So there are some of the reasons why we believe the Bible itself is reliable. And here's the deal. If the Bible is reliable, then what does it produce in us? Okay? Like, like, that's a lot of information. And for all of you analytical, intellectual people, you're like, ooh, I like this. You know what I'm saying? For the rest of you, you're like, okay, like, give me something that I can grab hold of. What can I apply? Right? So let's talk about that. What does the Bible produce in us? A few thoughts. First of all, as believers, the Bible isn't just a book that we read. It's a book that reads us. It's alive. It changes us. It transforms us. It comes up against our thinking because it's the very word of God. And at any moment as a believer, if you begin to stray away from what the word of God clearly has defined as truth, you are now creating your own belief system. And it happens generation after generation after generation. People take things that Jesus himself said and they'll add just a couple of other steps to it. And you know how you know whenever error is beginning to happen, whenever the message of the gospel is being diminished, whenever the blood of Jesus is not focused upon, but whenever the, the gift, not the giver, is, is, is focused upon, the experience of God versus knowing God. That's when you know that error is right around the corner. There's also another whole aspect where people get dry and they have no life in their relationship with God. And some people get caught in religion where it's like the Bible says, do one, two, three, and this is what I'm doing, one, two, three, and there's no relationship in it. Again, as humans, we are really good at going to the extremes. We want to be a church that's grounded, that's centered, that we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, but we also understand the power of the gospel. That's what we're going to be a community understanding, and we're going to hold that intention because it's based upon the word of God. And if we get away from that, we have no footing. We have nothing to stand upon. Y'all, y'all agree? Y'all understand? So what does it produce in me? Hebrews says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This book is alive. And we must be in it. 
The first thing it produces in us is spiritual maturity. All scripture in Timothy, it says this, all scripture is God is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You want to read the word of God to be equipped. We as believers, as part of the vision of this church is to equip and mature the believer. Not that this would be your only expression of what it looks like for you to be a Christian, but that you would take what you you receive here, that you would be equipped to go and be the church, to go and be a Christ-like person in front of others that they can't deny his power because of the way that you live your life. The next thing, character. Come on, we we could spend the next half of the year talking about character. John 15, one four says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Either way, something's happening in your life, okay? You're either gonna get taken away or pruned. Both are painful. <laughs> that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We must remain connected to Jesus. We must remain connected to the word of God. And in that, he produces fruit through us, fruit of the spirit of God in our life. Where things, come on, if you, if you were saved, I mean, if you were, you were lost far from God and you received Jesus, all of a sudden your life is transformed and things that used to not bother you all of a sudden bother you, that's called conviction. What is that? That is being connected to the vine and Jesus is trying to show you a new way to live, build character in you, right? Come on, we want to embrace that. Do you want to grow in your character? Come on, read the word of God. Faith produces faith in us. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. People want to, you know, when it comes to faith, they want to say a lot of different things about how to get more faith, more faith. And I guess, you know, something doesn't happen in their life. They say, well, I guess I didn't have enough faith. And it starts getting onto this other thing that actually starts getting farther and farther away from faith in Jesus. That no matter what I see in front of me, it actually has nothing to do. Denial is not faith. It's not faith, it's just denial. Jesus didn't deny what he saw in front of him. The prophets didn't deny what they saw in front of him. Abraham didn't deny what he saw in front of him. But he said, whether or not it works out the way that I want it to, my faith is in something greater. It's in Jesus, it's in God. He supersedes all of the other things. The Bible pulls you into that realm. The last thing is that the Bible gives us a clear revelation of Jesus. Ultimately, the Bible is about revealing Jesus, revealing what he has done through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that we live in resurrection life today because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. It says this in John 5.39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. There's some of you today, you're searching the scriptures You're trying to needle in and get all intellectual and you're actually, you're leaning too far away from the person of Jesus and you're just trying to learn about Jesus. You wanna know about God, but you don't know God. That's why it's not affecting your life. The same thing was happening back here. All these people searching the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and peace and all these. He says, and it is they that bear witness about me. He's like, I am the sign. (laughs) 
right? <laughs> like, like he's standing there and so many people are searching to and fro, trying to look for some other piece of evidence or some other like little jewel or whatever. I just heard a story recently about the church again, making up things and trying to get people all flustered about the hyper supernatural and it's all fake because they're looking for something other than Jesus. And whenever we do that, error, disunity, division, that's where it begins to take place. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Whenever we read the word of God, let's look for him, right? Let's look for Jesus. Let's not get off. Look, arguments. It's whenever people get away from the main thing. And the church is riddled with it. The church is riddled with it. If we would just do these things right here, y'all, as people, if we would truly read the word of God in order to be affected by it and changed by it, offense in this church would disappear. People will begin to get saved left and right because it'd be undeniable the fruit that's in this church. Small groups won't just be a time to sip some coffee and have light, you know, like hors d'oeuvres and sit there for a little bit and then go. It's gonna be, it's gonna be transformational. And I know some of your groups are having that. Transformation taking place in your group. It's amazing what happens whenever we read the word of God we take it for what it says. We apply it to our life. God does great things in our life. And today, a little bit different message, but I can tell you this. I know that in this room, through the words that we have sang, through the, through, through the, message, through the, the scriptures that we have read, through the information that was communicated, that many of you today, you've got a deeper revelation of who God is. You've got a deeper revelation of his word. But there comes a moment in every single one of our lives, whether you're here in Gulfport watching online in Wiggins, that you've got to say yes, you've got to surrender and you've got to break before your God. I say, Lord, I'm gonna follow you with all that I got. Every breath that I breathe is for you. There comes a moment. And for many of you, that moment is right here, right now. It's to say, Jesus, I can't deny it anymore. I believe in you. I wanna surrender to you, my whole heart. The Bible says he is faithful to hear you, to forgive you of all sin and to redeem your life, change you from the inside out. You ain't gotta get cleaned up to come to Jesus. You come to him broken, filthy as you are. He says he'll give you rest. I wanna pray for you right now. Let's bow our heads. God, I pray for every person here, every person watching online, every person in Wiggins today. God, I pray that if we are far from you, God, that you would bring us back to your heart. Align us with your will. Align us with who you are. Jesus, we need to be changed by you. Not a religion, not a rule our hearts, our desires, who we are internally. God, we need you. So right now, if you're far from God and you know that you are, I want you to pray a prayer similar to this. You don't have to pray exactly what I pray, but just say this, God, I am surrendered to you. I am broken before you. I lay all of my life at your feet, at the foot of your throne. And God, I say, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Will you change me? God, will you give me a greater understanding of your truth, a greater understanding of who Jesus is? God, I wanna know you, not just intellectually, but experientially. God, I wanna know you, truly know you. God, would you forgive me? I believe in Jesus. I believe in the cross. I lay everything before you and I ask you to forgive me, to, to, to change the direction of my life. I need you and I thank you for the cross where Jesus paid the price for my sin and my shame. And now I stand up in victory and boldness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's give it up for what God's done in this place this morning. It's been a good morning, huh?
Hey guys, just uh, like I said earlier, my name is Tom, I'm the assistant pastor here at the Gulfport campus in case you don't know who I am, but um, here's, here's the deal. Some of you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Jordan. God got a hold of you this morning. God got a hold of your heart. He got a hold of your life and you made a decision to follow after him. And that's just amazing. Uh, you just entered, hey, look around right now. This is your new family, all right? That, that's how awesome it is to, to be following Jesus. It's not just a thing that we do. It's a relationship that we enter into and a relationship with a body like this. So it's an amazing decision that you made. And here's what I want to do. Um, I don't want to leave you out on your own, just kind of hanging out there. I want to connect with you this week. And the way that I'm going to do that is if you could fill out that what's next card, that card I talked about uh, just a little while ago, um, fill that out and you can turn it in in one of two ways. You can either turn it in at our, our next steps area. It's right in the back here. It's a blue banner. We got a really friendly couple back there who would love to just say, hey, they got a little gift for you. Um, or if you're in a hurry, you can also uh, drop it off in one of the white buckets at each door as you leave. Same thing with if you're new here. Remember how I told you about the What's Next card? I would love to reach out to you as well. If you've uh, been here just today or a couple weeks, same way to drop it off. I'm gonna reach out to you this week. Don't worry, I'm not gonna like blow up your phones or anything like that. I'm just gonna get some information into your hands. And if you engage with me, I'll engage back, but I'm not gonna bother you if you don't um, respond back, okay? So I don't want you guys thinking I'm gonna spam you or anything like that, okay? Cool? also, uh, as an act, you know, one of the things we do as an act of worship here at Northwood is, is give. Um, it's, it's amazing what we're able to do as a church because of people who faithfully give week in, week out, month in, month out. And we've impacted literally thousands of lives on, here on the Gulf Coast um, over the past uh, decades. And it's because we faithfully act out and worship and say, God, I'm giving you a portion of what you've given to me. So um, there's four ways to do that. It's on the screen behind me. Uh, make yourself available to that. Also, if there's anything that's going on in your life where you're like, man, I just wish someone could agree with me in prayer, we have a prayer team for that, okay? There's some amazing people that are gonna be up here by the stage, just lined up right up here at the front. So after we dismiss, just walk on up, say hey. Um, they just wanna love on you a little bit and, uh, and agree with you in prayer over, over whatever it is. Uh, before we get going here, guys, um, I got a couple things to throw out at you, so uh, so don't don't uh, le- don't get your minds out the door quite yet. Okay, a couple important things. Like Pastor Jordan said, he mentioned about impact. Just a reminder: the impact table is right in the back of the room. Oh, they're fired up. They're waiting for you. Um, impact students, I think they got some donut holes back for you, uh, for you back there as well. So stop back there, say hey. Um, also, uh, we have some amazing serve projects that are going to be happening in the next four weeks or so, and uh, we got some information back here at our missions table for them. So please make your way back there. We got some folks back there who like to answer questions. You can get some details on the serve projects. Let's get out there and love on our, on our community, right? Uh, let's, let's do that. And also, if you stop back there, we got some donut holes back for, the, for you there as well. If you got a sweet tooth and got to fix that thing, make your way on back there, okay? So everyone stand up. We're going to get going here. Anything that I didn't mention, hey, month, uh, the, the month of March and April are kind of busy around here at NC, so make sure you grab an info guide. They're in the stands and the lobbies as you make your way out the door, all right? So let me pray over you guys. God, thank you so much for this body. Thank you so much for this family. God, I just pray that you will bless every single one in this, in this room as they leave, as they go about their week. God, that you'll give them grace, that your mercies, God, thank you that they're new every morning. God, give us strength, give our bodies health, and help us to go out on mission for you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. See you guys later.